Hey, I'm Brandon. And I'm Hannah, and we're the pastors at New Community Church. Yeah, and it's our hope that this message inspires you to take your next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the message. Well, hey, it is great to be here together. Uh, we have been in a series, as you saw, called When People Collide, and the question that we've been answering is, how do you repair relationships that are broken? And uh, it's such a good question to discuss because we've all been there, right? We're all there. We all have relationships that need to repair. And so that's what the conversation has been the last three weeks, really practical advice. And I hope, and tell me, is it, I hope it's been helpful for you, uh, not just inspiring or encouraging, but I hope you've have felt the courage to take some steps and uh, really and take some steps in your relationship. Also, I just want to say thank you. So many of you have uh, put on the connection card or you've texted and just shared, hey, here's a relationship and we'd love for you to pray with us in. And, and my wife and I, Hannah, we, we love to do that, to pray with you. And so it means a lot that you share that. And we are definitely praying and believing for God to heal. But I felt like as we were preparing for this series, we wanted to finish, and we're finishing it today. We wanted to talk about not just how to repair what's been broken, but how do you really build the right kind of relationships God wants for you? How do you build uh, life-giving, trust like fully trusting relationships that add value to your life. And that's really where we're going to finish. So if it's okay, enough with broken relationships. Let's talk about how to build some good ones. Is that good? So that's where we're going today. And I think today what we're going to talk about, it'll help you in your uh, personal relationships, maybe your marriage or your romantic relationships. But it goes beyond that. It, it'll help with your kids. It'll help with your family. It'll, it'll help at work, your team, with your boss. Uh, and, and I think these principles are so foundational for us as a new community. Um, you know what? One, isn't that just so cool? I can pull new community into almost every sermon. It's incredible. I didn't even plan it that way. But um, reality is, this is a new community God's forming. And th what we really, the reason we gave it that name is for the relationships we felt like God wanted us to build here. And so what does it look like to build whole life-giving relationships in this new community? And believe it or not, if you're a Jesus follower... That is the thing that you're called to do. That is the one thing that matters most. In fact, I'll show it to you as the way Jesus said it. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's so simple, but it's so challenging, right? It's so simple, but it costs us so much. Uh, and that's what it looks like. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. It, it means to live this. And then look at how Jesus finishes this off. He gives us the purpose, the reason behind it. He says, it's by this kind of love for one another that everyone will know that you're my disciple. And you know, this is a simple thought about this. I, I, I Honestly, I've read this a thousand times, but I never connected the idea that this really isn't about me. It's not People won't know I'm a follower of Jesus if I love you. It's if we love we. This is a, a, a word for us. This is a word for a community, a, a collective kind of call. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. That's really the call here. And so just want you to do this. Turn, find somebody and say, hey, I got you. Say that. I got you. I know that's that. So here, here's why. Listen, it's not just it's not just that I'm responsible for my witness. 
or my example to the world that I follow Jesus, I'm responsible for yours. Crazy, huh? I'm responsible for yours. And, and that word of saying, I got you, that's really what this is about. And I don't know about you. I mean, I, I said, I, I told him before, I, I, you know, you said, I got you. You didn't even know what I got you was for. But now look back to him and say, I got you back. If they said, say, I got you back. Tell them back. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh, yeah, I got you back. Okay. That's what it's supposed to be like, this I got you, I got you back, this kind of weak relationship and this commitment to one another to say, I am going to do my part for your witness and you do yours for mine. We're going to work together so the world will see who Jesus is. That's what's so vital as Christians, that we know how to do that and how to love one another. And so the question is, how do we build relationships that build up this kind of love, that build up a a love for one another like Christ loves you and like Christ loves me. And how do we do it in such a way that the world sees and they say, man, tell me about your Jesus. That's what we're going to hit today. And to do that, we're going to look at a a whole, actually it's a document, it's a whole letter in the New Testament called 1 Thessalonians. And so today we're going to go deep. Uh, today is going to be fun. I, if you are a note taker, it's a good day for you. You're going to need a few pages, but it's okay. I'm gonna, I've only got 25 minutes, so it's not going to go too long, so you're good to go there. But I do want to encourage you, let's kind of dig into what is going to be said here, what God wants to uh, put in our hearts. The cool thing about this letter, as I talked about, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians. The best thing about that letter is uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with Paul, he wrote 11 of the the documents in our New Testament. It's more than half of our New Testament. But no one, no reputable scholar, secular or Christian, would argue about this letter. This letter, they would all say it's the earliest letter Paul wrote. And there's no doubt when he wrote it, there's no doubt who wrote it, that he was the author, and that this was the first one that he wrote. And I think that's so special because it's in this letter that we find so many of the themes, so many of the values, the things that God was teaching Paul, and he began to write the themes and metaphors and word pictures he put in this one little letter called First Thessalonians, they are, they are seen throughout the rest of the letters in the New Testament. It's really incredible. And, and it's packed with emotion. It's packed with a passion. There's, there's these, this language. Paul literally makes up words while he's writing it, that just communicate this overly passionate kind of expression that he's using. It's incredible to read when you get to kind of read it at the ground level in its original language. And so today what I want to do is I want to show you this theme that he pulls through this whole letter. There's five chapters in the letter. And it, throughout the whole thing, he pulls this theme of loving one another. In fact, he says and focuses on like, this is it. This is the one thing you got to do to this uh, people in Thessalonica. Uh, the people there, these Thessalonians, they had already had a reputation because they had come to Jesus. They were living these immoral, um, self-centered, self-serving lives. And yet everyone around them saw and recognized that they had changed from living that kind of way to serving the one true and living God. And Paul kind of calls that out. He says, man, you guys, everybody knows your story. Everybody has seen the change you guys have made. I mean, even from other towns, they've all heard, hey man, God is doing something in Thessalonica. Imagine that bumper sticker. That, you know, that would be... Anyways, um, that's where my brain goes. So um, anyways, I just think it's incredible. And we get to kind of dive into uh, their story and what God is doing there. 
and really allow it to speak to what God wants to do in this new community. Sound good? If you're good, say bueno. Bueno, I love it. You know what? Somebody gave me a bueno bar. Have you ever seen one? I've never seen one. It's a candy bar. It's called bueno. I love it. I don't need many, but every once in a while, just you know, throw one. It's, it'll be perfect. Hey, so let's go there. In Thessalonians, I want to show you this theme of love. I'm going to kind of pull the thread all the way through the book, and then we're going to land at the end of our time together looking at some really practical commitments and applications of how to build relationships that really do uh, create this kind of love, a, a Christ-centered, Jesus-first love for one another. Sound good? Bueno. Oh, look, I love it. So, hey, here's where Paul starts. He begins by addressing who they are. He calls out that, man, they've had this incredible life change and that they are, he already addresses their love. Hey, everyone's seen it. You, you're loving God. You're loving one another. It's beautiful. And then to kind of introduce this theme and where he's going to go throughout the rest of the book, he begins with a prayer. And I want to show that to you. It's in the third chapter. And he says this. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. It's this words that mean overflow. It really is. It's a made up word. It's this idea of go above and beyond this abundantly more kind of love. May the love you have for each other, may it increase and grow and overflow for one another and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And then uh, he gives this next one. He says, may, he, may God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless in your love. Blameless in your love. That word blameless, you know, it's funny because we don't, I don't know about you. I don't always connect blamelessness with how I love other people. But that's what Paul's connecting. And the word he uses with blameless, it, it's really the word distilled. It's like, um, it's like if you take a, a substance and you distill it. You know that process? It takes, it takes a little bit of heat. It takes some time to, to really get the impurities out, to kind of wash them out so that you distill and you distill and you distill until you have this pure form of the substance. And in his prayer, he says, may God strengthen your heart so that that process can happen and you can be blameless in your love for others and holy in the presence of our God and Father. And I tell you, this prayer is my prayer for you. It's our prayer for you. Man, that God would strengthen your heart. That God would fill you with this kind of love that overflows and grows and increases as you love others. And that God would purify the love that's in your heart so you can be holy and stand before God, our God and, uh, and Heavenly Father. <clears throat> Excuse me, that was a nut from the Bueno Bar. Um, not, not very emotional, but I, I do pray that for you. And that's my prayer over everything. And that's how Paul begins, this, this beautiful prayer. And then he goes to uh, a section, and he kind of books in, bookends this section, begins in chapter four, and he introduces the idea. I want to show it to you. It says, now about your love for one another. So there he's kind of introducing this new idea. And he's going to give us some practical examples about what this love should look like. And he's going to end with a tag. So let's look. I'm going to show you the bookend. Is that okay? And then we'll come back to what's in the middle. So here's the start. It says, now about your love for one another, we don't really need to write you for you. I've already been taught by God to love each other. And yet we urge you. That word, it's such a strong word. It's passionate. We are passionately urging you, brothers and sisters, to love one another more and more. It's literally the same phrase. 
Increase and above, overflow, grow. Let your love do that. He says, I, I, I want that to happen in you, and I didn't give you the next one, but I want to give it to you here. Uh, we urge you to do so more and more. And then what happens is he comes back at the end, and he bookends it with this. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as fact, as in fact you are doing. Now, the reason I wanted to show you this at all is because it's hard to see in English, because we don't kind of use verbs the same way, but this, the way he writes these verbs, it's a command. In fact, it's Paul's only command in the whole letter, that you would build one another up. So everything else, he's encouraging you, he's urging you, hey, I think this is, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, this is what I want God to do in your heart, but here's the command. Build one another up. Out of everything I've said, out of everything, all the examples and all the things you could do, don't miss this. Don't lose sight of what God wants to do. Out of everything, no matter what, let love build up. No matter what, let love build up. And that's what I, how I want to give it to you. No matter what, no matter what stage, don't give in. Don't settle for less. Let love build up. And what I love about that word of building Building carries so much emphasis. Building is, is so, um, uh, I, I wrote this, I want to say it. Building, you know, building can't, that means the opposite of prefabricated. Does that make sense? Building speaks to a process. It speaks to, um, to kind of getting your hands dirty. Building speaks to, it's this metaphor, of, even though you have to start and do some things that are kind of ground level, the reality is you also have to know where you're going, right? in order to know how to start. And, and that's kind of this picture he gives us. He gives us these steps, almost sequential, and how he lays it out. This is what it looks like. Now about these ideas of how you can love one another, this is what it looks like to really build up. And, he, and again, he gives us that no matter what, no matter what state your relationships are in, no matter what, what place you find yourself, maybe these relationships are new, maybe they're old, maybe they're fresh and just started, or maybe they've been around for a long time. No matter what, I want to encourage you to choose to let love build up. And you know, this is so important because relationships that are whole and healthy and full of trust and meaning those relationships are built. They're not ready-made. In fact, we tell our kids that all the time. When they come home and they're frustrated with something that happened at school with their friends, and, and we just have to tell them sometimes, you know, friends, sometimes you got to help people know how to be a friend, right? Doesn't that happen, like, even as adults? Sometimes I need help knowing how to be a dad or how to be a husband or how to be pastor or how to be your brother in Christ or how to be a friend. Relationships don't come prefabricated, but there is a building up process. Are you following me? You in with me? And so what I want to do is I want to look, again, we're in chapter five. I gave you that last one, but in chapter four, he squeezes in these practical examples of things you could do to make sure you are building up love in your relationships. And I want to look at them, and I'm going to give them to you as three commitments. In this letter, they're, they're examples. They're very practical. But reality is, these three commitments are seen throughout the rest of the letters of Paul, all 11 of them. And they are principles that he develops over time, but he starts them here. 
So we're going to look at the very beginnings of that. Y'all good for that? So here they are. I'm going to stack these up, these first commitments. And here's the first one. A commitment for how to build a relationship of love is this. You make the commitment to say, I won't hurt you. I won't hurt you. And maybe that sounds funny. Maybe that sounds like, man, that's a, a funny place to start. But I tell you, it is the place to start when you're building relationships of love. In fact, here's how Paul says it. He says it in uh, uh, chapter four. He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. It's that same kind of concept of blameless, distilled, purified. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. And then look what he says. You should avoid sexual immorality. There's his example. That each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. But then here he gives the reason. Listen to this. He says, and that in this matter of sexuality, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. That's the purpose. Why sexuality matters to God. He says, don't do anything that's avoid sexual immorality. And you ask, well, what is he talking about? He is talking about anything that's outside of God's design and intent for sex in marriage. That's, he has an intent there. He has a purpose for that, what, to the intimacy he wants to build there. And he says, avoid anything else. In fact, this is the New Testament ethic when it comes to sexuality. It's this, that if, if it's not good for him, it's a sin. If it's not good for her, I best defer. It's this idea that you are who you are. You are a future spouse of someone else. And my job is to honor you for that, to avoid sexual immorality so that you can have your best, so that you can have what God wants in you. It's another reason why we avoid gossip it's why we avoid slander. It's why we avoid sexual immorality. We avoid anything that would wrong or take advantage of another. Does that make sense? The first commitment we make if we're going to build relationships of love is we're going to avoid anything that would hurt you. In fact, I just want to help some of you today. I really do think this is going to help because this commitment is so important because it doesn't matter what you want to build in your relationship if you don't commit, that you're not going to tear it down. You can have the greatest hopes for your relationship, but if you don't make this commitment, I'm not going to tear it down. I'm going to avoid anything that will hurt you. If you don't avoid that, if make that commitment, then actually you're, you're just going to build something that is unstable, that's false, that will fall. It, it's fragile. You'll he take that. This is the primary commitment, and reality is when you choose to commit to this right here, that I will not hurt you, you actually add, what, that word I use, stability to a relationship. There's, there's kind of this idea, acceptance is laid out. I, you are accepted for who you are. Your individuality is protected. Christ can begin to speak to you about your identity when this commitment is in place in a relationship. That's what God wants to do through your relationships. That's what God wants to do for you. And so just imagine with me real quick, just kind of go to the future. What could God do with a new community of people who were committed to this? In other words, what could God do if next Sunday you walked in and you knew that everyone here made the commitment that we're not going to hurt each other? Think about that. 
Think about what God could do with your friends, what their experience has been, what they've experienced with church. And yet they walked into a, a space like this and they knew, hey, I can walk in here and I'm not going to be hurt. They don't hurt each other. They're not going to hurt me. Can you imagine what that could do? Could you imagine what that could do for our community? Could you imagine if this is what Christians were known for in the world? No matter what, I won't hurt you. Think about that. Think about the impact. Man, I think that would change our world, right? We can have lots of theological conversations and ethical conversations, but if we don't get this right, if we don't start here, we're missing the point. And I think this is so vital for us as a new community as we're building and we're learning how to love one another like Jesus hurts us, that we commit not to hurt. I think this commitment right here would just, I mean, it could change the world. This alone, and we haven't even built up. There's three steps of this thing. But this right here, so foundational. I want you to think about your marriage if you're married. What would happen if you just made this this commitment? If even in the moment of your argument or your discussion, you are going to say, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to attack you. I'll, I'll... We can have a talk about what what has happened and what's been done, but I won't ever attack your character. I won't hurt you. Imagine what God could do in a marriage where that commitment was made. It's so important. It's so vital that we start here. And this is where Paul started with the Thessalonians. It's, It's what God wants to do in us. It's how God wants to build our relationships. He wants to build on this commitment. And if we make this commitment, as I said, stability begins. There's acceptance that begins. But there is so much more that God wants to do. There's so much more God wants to give you in your relationships. And so here's the second commitment. It's this. And I love this. I think this is brilliant, like divinely inspired almost. Here it is. This is the second commitment. It's this. I will do my part. Now, I grew up in like, my, my parents were farmers. And so like, you're just, you're working. You're always, everyone's doing their part. I, I grew up thinking this was good practical advice. But the reality is this is spiritually impactful. This has incredible spiritual implications on relationships. This line right here. And here's how Paul says it. He goes there a little bit later in chapter four. He says, I'm going to, yet we urge you, there's that language again. Remember he said it earlier. We urge you brothers and sisters to love each other more and more. There's that theme. And to make it your ambition. Here you go. He's about to tell you, what does it look like to love more and more? How do you build love up? Love one another. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And then he defines that. And he says, you should mind your own business. Now, real quick, don't, don't think English idiom, American idiom right there, like mind your own business. That's not what he's, he's not saying that. He's saying you should, you should take thought to what your, your responsibility is. You should think about and steward what you've been given. You should mind your own business and work with your own hands. It's this commitment right here. I will do my part. And I believe that's where that next level of a relationship God wants to create in you, that you have to be willing to do this, this idea of owning your own life, stewarding what God has given you. It's not just practical, man. It is incredibly spiritual. In fact, here's the sobering truth. If you and I do not take personal responsibility for our lives, if we don't take personal responsibility in our relationships, your relationships 
and my relationships will suffer. That actually the fulfillment that God intends for you, you will never experience until you're willing to make this commitment. And haven't you seen it, right? Haven't we all seen it? Like, we all get this. It it makes sense. We've seen the aftermath of when this hasn't happened. We've all experienced it, but this is what God wants to do in us. He wants to build in us as Christians, as Jesus followers, in this new community, a commitment of saying, we're going to do our part. I'm going to do my part for your sake. And, you know, something that's beautiful about this and what God can do is when this commitment is made, now we've got stability, but all of a sudden we've got this sense of mutuality, mutual respect, mutual purpose, mutual direction. Stability is about making sure I'm stable. This step is about making sure I can move forward. Isn't that good? And not just me, but we, that we can move forward together. This has the opportunity for building to really happen, for things to begin to get activated. And the most recent example of that in my life is what has happened through our dream team here at New Community. Uh, If you didn't know, when we started this church, we had gathered about 72 people who were part of the dream team. And what we, what we mean is they were the ones who said, hey, we're going to be committed to building this church with you. Uh, and we're up to just about 100 right now on our dream team. But the, the whole idea is that we were saying, hey, whatever it takes, we're going to do our part. And you know what's cool? People I didn't even know, in weeks, our relationship got deep because we were all in this thing together. And it was incredible what God did there. And you know, even people I knew for a long time, I've been in church with them for years. We had five families who came from our home church, our sending church with us. Immediately, our relationships got deep the minute we decided we're going to do our part. We're going to row together to see God's mission get done. And that's what God can do in your relationships. In fact, we say that and we invite people all the time, come be a part of the dream team. And I mean this with all my heart. I don't say that so that you can serve me in any way or serve some agenda we have. I, I really think being part of the dream team is for you. It's the best thing you could do because of what God wants to give you, because of the relationships God wants to pour into you, the way that this commitment allows his grace and his favor to uh, flow abundantly more, his love to flow and increase and uh, overflow and increase in you. That's the whole purpose of this commitment. And I just want to invite you to think about your relationships right now. Think about your relationships at home, your relationships at work. Think think about your relationships here. And just allow God to ask you, have you made this commitment? And if not, is is there some love and some things God wants to pour into your life through relationships that you're missing out on because you haven't made that step yet? Because this is what God wants to do in you. This is the beautiful thing as we make this first commitment, as we move and we allow love to build up to where we can say, hey, I'll be willing to do my part. We're going to do this thing together. We're going to be on mission together. We're going to move forward together in life. But that really leads to this third one. It's a beautiful one. It's the hardest one. And it's this. It's the commitment of saying, you can be honest with me. And I'll be honest with you. This final level saying, you can be honest with me, and I will be honest with you. Paul talks about it when he gets to the end of this this letter, and uh, 
he kind of took a moment to talk a little bit about death and talk about the resurrection and talk about uh, heaven and what is that like and what do we experience? How, how are we supposed to approach that? And kind of in light of the end, and in light of how everything that matters in life, he kind of comes to this moment. He says, so listen, let, let's not be like others who are asleep. And it's really this metaphor idea. Let's not, let's not be like other people around us who are asleep. They, 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 let, they don't see the reality around them. They don't see the reality within them. He says, let's not be like them, but let us be awake, fully awake and sober. It means clear-minded. Let, let's just make sure we're being fully honest about what's going on, about what really matters in life. And when it comes to our relationships, this commitment of honesty is the most important one. And really, this willingness to give someone else permission to be honest in your life. And that's really when we talk about small groups as a church, we just recognize on Sunday mornings, this is a hard commitment to experience. But we all need to be in spaces and places where we can take the mask off and we can look someone in the eye and say, hey, you can be honest with me and I will be honest with you. You can be honest with me and I can be honest. I will be honest with you. I want to just ask the men in the room, have you ever given another man permission and said, you can be honest with me? There's something you see. There's something that's just something you recognize. I want to give you permission to be honest with me. Such an important relationship to have. Women, have you ever invited another woman to say, you can be honest with me? It's fun to have fun. I love hanging out. This is great, but... I need someone who will be honest with me if they see something that's leading me somewhere to, to becoming someone I don't want to be. So important. Those of you who are married, have you had that kind of commitment? You know, the, um, it's funny. These three commitments, I'm, I'm trained in premarital counseling, marital counseling, and these three commitments are foundational that they teach. It's almost, you know, it's crazy. They've been in the New Testament for, for years, for thousands of years, and yet uh, we're just now catching up to, hey, these are probably some pretty good importance we should all make, you know, commitments we should, we should make with each other. And, um, I, I think what's incredible about this one is they say in marriages, sometimes it takes up to 20 years for couples. Not sometimes, actually, that's the average. 20 years of walking with each other, of walking through these commitments before this one is really actualized and truly lived out. It's this level of sincerity. It's a, it's a level where God can really bring freedom. Freedom from your past. Freedom from your pain. But really a freedom for your purpose. A freedom for your future. When you have this commitment in place, that's what God can do. I'm telling you, I, it's been great to spend the last few weeks talking about how do we heal relationships, and I think that is such a vital thing that God wants to do in us. I think that is, is so important that as a church family, we, we do know how to walk with each other and allow healing, but what could God do with a new community who would build love up to the point to where we could be honest with each other, where there's no pretension, where there's no ego in the way, where there's just a willingness to be honest and humble 
to receive from one another, to receive love from one another, like Christ loves us. Man, I believe with all my heart, it's not just what God wants for you, it's what we want for you. It's why we started this church. And you know what? It's so vital because our witness to the world depends on it. So who cares if we start a new church with a cool band and a really cool green curtain in the back and scratching stiff Snickers if we can't make the commitment to love? And that's the invitation on the table. What could God do if you made this commitment that no matter what, you're going to let love build up? And the beautiful thing is, wherever you are, here, wherever the relationship is, you can take a step. You can begin to let love build up by just saying, I, I, no matter what, I'm not going to hurt you. No matter what, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not, I'm not going to talk bad about you. No matter what, I will not attack your character. No matter what. You can take a step by saying, no matter what, I will do my part. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the best. You don't, you, you don't, you don't, you don't have to earn that. No matter what, I'm just going to do my part. And then what if you made that commitment and took that step? What if... What would it look like for you this year to develop some relationships, to build in such a way? Can I tell you, you can't, you can't do this down here. It doesn't work. It just, it's just hard. Some of us will go there that quick. Some of us were like, please, let's not make this commitment yet. <laughs> but reality is, as you allow things to happen, man, God wants to build it so you can. What if you committed to building relationships? It, what, it, what would God do if you went to your spouse or you went to your brother, or you went to your sister, and you said, you know what, I love you, and I just want to give you the right to be honest with me. Can I tell you something? That has to be given, that permission, because it's not assumed, is it? I tell our lead team all the time here, I say, hey, we have an open-ear policy. We want you to be honest with us. What do you see? What do you hear? We, we, we have to reiterate it all the time. We want to. In our home with our kids, we want to hear from you. What do you see? What do you need to say? You can be honest with us. Let me know. And I just think it's so vital for you too to have relationships where you can say this and affirm this over and over so that God can really set you free. So that the world can really see a new community who loves like Jesus loves. And they could say, man, tell me about your Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey with Jesus. Yeah, and we'd love to connect with you further. And the best way to do that is at our website, thenewcommunity.church, where you can connect to our small groups, find other resources, and even give to the work God's doing through New Community.